0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father, and the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to test this mic out. Is this, uh, yeah, it's too loud for me. Sorry. Can everyone hear me? I hope so. What did you come here for? Why do you come to church? It's a fair question. Of all tough questions that you'd rather not try to answer in front of a class full of people, in case you get it wrong, you know, this is a question that you know. You know the answer to. With utter certainty. And you know you're right. You need Jesus. That's why you're here. You need mercy from Jesus. You came here for the forgiveness of sins. I can't tell you how many times I've asked old folks a simple question. Do you know you're going to heaven? And they say, I sure hope so. These are lifelong Lutherans who say this. I sure hope so. The opinion of the law returns and rises up, and you're wrong to think it. And how many of us knew to answer, because I need it, Jesus? It's amazing. We have to be careful. We should ask ourselves this question every time we come to church. And every time we're thinking maybe we won't. We should examine ourselves daily, And especially when we we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Before we come to receive the body and blood of Jesus, we should know why we do it. We should know why we need it so much. We should know what we want and what God gives us and why. We're doing no favors to God by going through motions. God is doing us a favor. Before he comes to judge, look, he comes to serve. Why do you come? Maybe you're obeying an old habit by coming to church, or appeasing a nagging wife, who lets you, who, who, who drags you along, or, or doing a favor from mom. Right? But maybe that'll wait till Christmas or Mother's Day. But at the cost of having to endure what otherwise feels like a waste of your time, you may just have your reward. But God doesn't reward the outward motion. Why would He? God requires faith. St. Paul writes that when the Lord Jesus comes to judge, He will, we just heard this, He will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Outward motions don't earn anything. But what are the counsels of your heart? What will be revealed? This should strike some bit of fear into our hearts, to know that all hidden things of darkness therein will be made manifest? Well, then good. Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9, verse 10. You came here for Jesus, and you know that's the right answer. You did. You came here for the Holy One of Israel, he has won God's approval for you. He has become true man in order to do it for you, in order to bear it and suffer it for you. You came here with secrets, shame, guilt, and all manner of sin. I don't know what you know. I could guess sometimes, I suppose, but then I'd be being very uncharitable, wouldn't I? Now who am I? I'm not God, but God is. Folks tend to forget that God is still God when they tell people who judge them that they're not God. God is God. So you confess your sins to God. And so here in this confession of sins is the counsel of your heart. As we just confessed together from Psalm 32. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. If fearing God is the beginning of wisdom, I will confess my sins. Then this here is understanding. You forgave me. Knowledge of the Holy One, that is Christ. For why has God forgiven the iniquity of your sin? And how do you know He has? To have Christ is to be found having His righteousness and not your own. This is understanding. He alone has borne your sin. He alone is righteous. To have understanding of the Holy One is to know why God is pleased to forgive you. It is to know what God sees. When he looks at you who believe in the darkness and recesses of the secrets of your heart, and you say, what will he find there? He knows better than you what is there. Knowledge of Christ is understanding. He counsels our hearts. And so he knows what counsels he will find. He invites us to come and receive full pardon and honor in place of all our sin and shame so that when he comes again, he finds the righteousness that we trust in right now in our hearts. If this is not the counsel of your heart, well then no. No sitting in the pew, no standing when you're told to stand, no mumbling words, no contribution to the offering plate is going to impress God. Those who claim that they can worship God just as well by by enjoying nature or eating breakfast at home with their families may at least be doing something useful, even if they're dead wrong. Can there be a more pathetic way after all than to try and win God's favor than by agreeing to be bored senseless for an hour or so every Sunday morning? Is God so petty? Honestly, accomplish accomplish something by working an extra shift or sleeping in. God isn't so desperate for an audience. He is the Lord of hosts. Nonetheless, you are here. And even if you're here solely because it's a social habit you've developed, you're here. And I'm glad you are. Even if you're here because you're paid to be here, well, you're here. But we have no organist today, so I guess I'm the only one. Even if you're here for a really silly reason, and you're ashamed, and you got the answer wrong, you didn't know why you were here, but you're here. And the God who sees your heart is here too. And you're more likely to have your senses knocked into you here than where God speaks, than if you were sleeping in or at work or traveling or having some morning lunch. Even those who come for the wrong reasons are granted the honor and kindness of hearing the blunt and biting truth they need to hear in order that perhaps they may repent and be saved. So if you're unwilling, drag that horse to water. You can't make yourself drink. But here is the Holy Spirit speaking through the word of God. And he knows what you need. John told the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he saw many of them coming to be baptized. He called them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, why are you here? Well, what a way to welcome people to church. John wasn't very good at church growth techniques, but, but he asks a good question. And he does so while revealing the reason why we should all be here. Who warned you? Who struck fear into you? What wrath is it that you are fleeing? Is it the wrath of God? Good. You have come to the right place. There is only one who can bear the wrath of God with any benefit to you. Only God's land is holy Christ, your brother and substitute under the law. The law works wrath, let it work. Do not flee from it where it most sharply exposes your lust, laziness, pride, shame. And perhaps what people are most unwilling to give up and I acknowledge is all their stupid half-spun, half-spun opinions and musings on the divine as though everyone is entitled to what he thinks about God. No, let God shut your mouth like God once shut up Zacharias's mouth. Don't take offense that a flesh-and-blood man points it out. He's not judging your heart. He's speaking God's word. Don't flee from the call to repentance. Run to it. For where God sends his messenger to prepare you for Christ, God also sends his messenger to point you to Christ. To bring him to you and you to him to where Christ gives you God's favor, the only way you'll find it. The man who speaks is not Christ's servant only to preach against sin, but to distribute what belongs to all who desire a savior from sin. To dispense as a steward the mysteries of God. In Christ. You're not likely to find these mysteries of God given to you. Except where your sin and pride are preached against. Surely you did not come here for your sin to be whitewashed. But exposed. You didn't come here for your hearts to be coddled. But corrected. Bound up and healed. Soothed with the balm of Christ's blood. You came here for wisdom. If you came here for mercy... Those who fear God become wise. Those who acknowledge their sin receive what God has promised and brought to fulfillment for sinners. Now when John was kind of rude to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he knew why they came. And he spoke to them harshly as an example. He responded to their arrogance in order that we might know how our our arrogance is met with by God. They didn't come for wisdom. They came to spy and mock. They didn't come to flee the wrath of God. They were children of Abraham already. They had nothing to fear. But God is able to raise up children of Abraham from stones. That's what John told them. And so he does. He who sees the counsels of our hearts, that they are evil from our youth, he who sees that we are able to produce nothing of ourselves, Even Abraham couldn't find anything according to his flesh, but had to live by faith in the promise of God. And this faith was counted to him for righteousness because this faith was not merely generic, it was specific. It was faith in Christ. It was faith in him who would become true flesh and bone and bear the wrath of God in his place. His faith had to be specific. His repentance was specific. Like you and me, he had specific sins. He was burdened by specific guilt. He needed a specific Savior who would take his sin away. Abraham didn't flee to the general goodness of God, he fled to the specific promise of God. If all nations would be blessed by his descendants, well, then, by God, so would he. And so will we. He was, and we are too. As God met Abraham, and as God raises all his sons from the ashes of repentance, so God meets us in our helplessness, our stubbornness, our hard-heartedness. He requires no more from us than that we do what rocks can do. He crushes us in order that he might raise us up. As the prophet says so beautifully in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The repentance God works in us is painful work. It requires that we admit we're wrong when our sinful minds insist we're right. But the movement is all His. We contribute only resistance and pride. God breaks down our pride with the law that condemns us and gives us new desires by the gospel that saves us. New desires to to turn to him in faith, deny ourselves, and to find our life in Christ. Now if God's able to raise up stones to become sons of Abraham and raise the dead to become sons of God, how much more is he able to gather his church wherever he sees fit? How much more is he able to build his temple of living stones quite without the efforts of men to soften the social awkwardness of preaching the plain commandments of the law or to make the gospel more appealing to otherwise bored observers. If God requires so little from you to convert you and give you new life through the washing of new birth in holy baptism, how much less does he need us to figure out how to supplement or tweak the preaching of his word today to make it more effective? And everyone's looking for ways to make it more effective. But every effort to make a servant of Christ and steward of God's mysteries more effective is nothing other than a way to make excuses for why people don't want to listen to the law and to the gospel. For there must be a reason. It's not in him, it must be in the preacher. Maybe. Maybe it's a little of both. Because God sent sinners to preach... And he commands sinners to listen. So, no doubt, but it's a small thing to be judged by you or by any human court. It is God who judges. God knows why you want the gospel, God knows why people don't. So, what do we come to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A preacher who bends to the demands of his hearers to keep them interested in what he has to say? What do we come to see? A man clothed in soft garments? That is, do we expect the preaching of God's word to be accompanied by the world's accolades and honor and, and followed by crowds of people who want to be associated with such a popular movement? Well, you'll see this plenty enough in king's houses. That is in movies, and on TV, and in the more up-to-date religious hotspots. There are more people at other places, where peddlers of wisdom know enough to entertain and flatter their hearers, if they want them to be devoted to whatever it is they're selling. But what do we come here to see? A prophet? Well, that's what we need, as we just confessed. I believe in the Holy Spirit who spoke by the prophets, And if you need the Holy Spirit, you need to hear the voice of a prophet. So then let a man consider us likewise. The one who preaches God's word faithfully and clearly and with no apology is himself a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And if you prefer to hear a prophet like Elijah, well then he who receives it is able to receive it. He is the one who is to come. You judge what you hear based on whether it agrees with God's word and you cling to what God says. It is required that a steward be found faithful. And the steward depends not on any public opinion. He depends not on being accepted by a community, but on the judgment of God. And he finds the judgment of God in God's holy word. Be diligent, St. Paul says, to present yourself approved by God to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so likewise, we are to judge what we hear. We're to judge what we hear with the same word that judges us, from the same word that gives us God's approval. John wasn't sent to grow the church. He was sent to prepare the way for Christ. He was sent to prepare hearts to repent and believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even in prison, John pointed. His devoted disciples remained with him. He was in prison. And they visited him. Blessed are they who were so attentive to the least of Jesus' brothers. You remember that blessing. They visited him. They loved John. They loved their preacher. But they were bothered. John had been God's prophet. He had been tremendously famous. And now another is outshining John's ministry. Here is a prophet that does more than baptize. He does great signs. John had gone from massively popular celebrity preacher to forgotten has been in prison. And now his fame was all but forgotten. His good standing was reduced, reduced to nothing and his honor reduced to myth. And yet, even as a washed-up has-been, John pointed to Jesus and fulfilled his calling like a faithful preacher. Go and ask him, he said. And what encouragement did John receive? What did he need as a faithful prophet? No more than a prophet. What did he need to validate his success as a minister? He needed to know that Jesus was doing what Jesus came to do. John had prepared his way. What else can a faithful pastor do? So what else could a faithful pastor ask to hear? Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Christians are born for sinners who have soiled their white robes, are cleansed again in the blood of Christ. Helpless strugglers in this world full of temptations and pitfalls are pulled out and given strength to return to Christ's, Christ and commend their lives to his mercy. Blind, blinded by pride fools are made wise by the preaching of the cross. Sad sinners go home happy because they have the peace of God. New life is given to the dead. The immortal body and blood of Christ are being fed to sinful mortals that they may live forever. The poor have the gospel preached to them. This here is what the faithful prophet needed to hear. And this is what his disciples needed to hear. John's final work as a prophet was to direct his disciples to follow Jesus. And his final encouragement as a prophet was to find and see and have confirmation that Christ was doing exactly what he promised to do. And so this is how you judge. You aren't a human court. Not when you have God's judgments. You validate what you hear by continuing to listen to it, by believing it. The most important way to encourage any preacher is simply to hear the gospel. To believe it. To continue to live in repentance. And to love the Lord Jesus. So take the pulse of the church on earth. Test the value of her ministry. Every prophet and every preacher. Has his own insecurities. And wants to be liked. But every prophet and every preacher. Must find the value of what he says In what God's word says. And blessed is he who is not offended. So take a look. Are sins rebuked? Are your sins rebuked? Are sins forgiven? Are your sins forgiven? Is Christ here? Is he at work? What the church needs is what you need. It's not the church's job to attract the crowds, and it's not your job to attract the crowds. John attracted the crowds and then offended them more often than not. It's the minister's job to lay the axe at the root of the tree. It is God's job to give growth and graft in new members. And so you judge where you go, not by whether or not all the right sins are exposed. Of course, that's necessary but you judge what you hear based on whether or not you hear the voice of Christ. Are your eyes opened to the forgiveness and life that God sent His Son to give us here on earth? Is that what is revealed to you? Because that's the reason you're supposed to be here. And it is the most important thing that you can hear. The most important thing that I must preach. The most important thing that God has given to his church on earth. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He is a steward. He is only your servant if he is Christ's servant, and he is to give to you what belongs to Jesus and what belongs to you in his name. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.